Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of The Neil Haley Show and your beautiful day here on the Gratitude Radio Network. And I'm excited to welcome the co-hosts for this show that we do every week. A lot of fun, Pearl Sharenza and the host, Jen Mogg. Guys, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm awesome. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited about today. Oh, I'm excited about our guest as well. So we know her from her days on The Bachelor, Rudy, but also her music. And I appreciate you stopping by, Rudy. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having Fa me. Fantastic. How are you dealing with quarantine? Again, we still are dealing with things. We're now talking about maybe we'll have to go practice more social distancing again, but how are you, how have you dealt with it since this is, since the pandemic? Yeah, um, I am in San Antonio. I, I live in LA, that's where my apartment is, but my home is here in Texas. So I have been quarantined with my family for what, it's been four months now, it feels like. I came home a little bit early, like around March. So yeah, I've just been here chilling with the family. I, I have a big family, so it's literally never a dull moment. I was just sitting at the dinner table yesterday and I was like, oh my gosh, imagine if I was like quarantined in LA all by myself, like that would be the absolute worst. So I'm just grateful for, um, you know, all the, my family members and getting to, you know, do fun things even in the house. So it hasn't been too bad for me. I like to stay home a lot anyway. I'm a person. So um, it's been, it's been good. Awesome. All right. So, Jen, what is your first question for Rudy? Hi, Rudy. It's Jennifer, mother of gratitude, where every woman is a mother of gratitude. And I believe everyone has gifts. And when you open one, there's another one waiting. Um, tell me how growing up impacted where you are now. Um, I think mainly just in Texas, in San Antonio, I, I didn't honestly really appreciate it until I moved away, if I'm being honest. And I kind of always was like, I want to get out of San Antonio. I want to live in LA and I, or New York. I want to be in the city. And, and then the second that I moved, I was like, oh, I miss home. <laughs> and I think really the main thing that I missed was other than my family was just, um, it, it's, it's just very go, 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 go. Right. And here I get to come home and, and just, relax and and be in, in nature and you know I that's kind of it just growing up in a small like suburban area compared to growing up in the city I just I it it made me who I am and I absolutely love that so like I said unfortunately I, when I was younger I was a little pain in the butt and like just wanted to get out but the second I did I missed I missed it like crazy so yeah that's interesting. And, you know, Pearl, it's a lot of times we see things in certain ways where we want to be somewhere else, then we see the reality of it. And then we see how important home is. And yep. Haley sees that. And I mean, uh, Rudy sees that and Pearl, you definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a little, I'm probably old enough to be Rudy's mom, <laughs> but <laughs> my kids are, you know, my kids are starting to grow and it's funny that, you know, our oldest is always like, I want to be out of the house. And, but yet every night he's like here, even though he's staying at his girlfriend's house, you know, it's like, you never really go away and it's it's funny you talk about that too I, I'm reorganizing my office and I found old photo albums when I was in high school mm. I still look back I'm like oh my gosh it's still the hell you still have that heartwarming you still get called home right. even after all the years being married how's yeah. it feel like to when you I so I was in LA and I know LA is like crazy busy it's constant go 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 right. how is that for you taking what how you you know growing up and all those great things your your folks brought you and then the a wonderful voice you have now and bring it to LA how how you how's that going for you and how do you feel about the, the difference between the two cities um it's great it's I, I I didn't like it at first to be honest I went and I was like oh my gosh it was just so different from what I was used to um and the people it's just it, 
so many things are different over there and it's it takes a while to find your home you know and I think finally now I have like a small group where I feel like I do have a small family over there and that's helped a lot um but honestly if I didn't have Texas San Antonio to come back to with my family it would be really hard but that's I look forward to that I'm like okay just go you work and then you know on a weekend you can fly home and see and see your parents so um that's kind of you know, it's still hard. It's different. Um, but I love it. And I'm, I'm grateful for all the, the reasons why I have to be out there, you know? Right. Awesome. Yeah. You, and I have to say, you have a beautiful voice. I love your R&B, the, the whole, the way you come across and, uh, you know, I, I'm going to watch my language here, but that one song where you say, I was like, yeah, just tell it like it is. I thought that was so cool. So I just think it's, you're very real for me with your music. And you know, no matter how young I get, I still love to listen to any music. And I think it was, an, it's just amazing voice you have. I really appreciate that. I think being real is like the, if, if I can take away one thing from my music, I just, I want it to be real. That's it. And so um, when people compliment me on that, it's like, it's a huge compliment for me. So. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I'll just say one more thing that I know Jen's got lots of questions. For me, it's really important because I work with women that are like in their thirties, like early thirties to the late sixties. And I'm all about don't look back when you get older like I am. I'm in my 50s and, and wonder where you are in the story and why didn't you go after the dream? And I think it's amazing that you're going after your dream. And one of the big questions I have is if you were to write a book today with what you just experienced so far, what would you tell your younger self about what your experience has been so far? My younger self, I would say, um, I would tell her to be careful. I would tell her to be careful with who you trust. I've gotten myself in a couple of really bad situations, um, like contractually. And um, I, just because I was so vulnerable and trusting someone that I thought was, you know, trustworthy. And um, it, it just, it got, it got me stuck in a really bad contract for like multiple years. And that's, I think the main thing I, everyone asked me, everyone asked me that question. I'm like, I definitely just be careful with who you trust and and re and cross your t's and dot all your i's because you you don't know who's you know really in it to help you and really in it to just for the to benefit benefit themselves so that's great advice i know jen you can feel that right i mean you and i've talked about that a lot right we talk about that a lot and it's one of those things that i think everyone needs to to do in their life at some point and look back and say what would you say to your younger self whether it's for your children or for yourself to know you would still be saying relax protect yourself it would still be the same things that you'd be telling your younger self but you're telling yourself now so that it, it keeps going right right not to be afraid protect yourself that yep. type of thing yeah now it's interesting when you talk about specifically you said growing up and everything did you always want rudy to be uh an entertainer and uh, singer and all that was that growing up was that the type of stuff you did yeah I um, from a young age my I was my parents first child and, and they kind of threw me in literally everything I played soccer any sport you can think of I played any I was in dance classes by the time I was literally two years old I did swimming lessons like I did everything but I always just wanted to go to dance I always wanted to sing I always wanted to act and it was always I, I was so bad at every single sport. Like there's no, I'm just not athletic, but what stuck was, was the music part of things and the entertainment side of things really. Um, and I grew up acting. That's actually what, what I first started doing. I um, moved to LA. I did a few commercials. I did like a HBO show when I was younger. So I grew up acting and then randomly it just kind of 
you, you get to an age in acting where I think it's like kind of weird to, you can't play older parts, but you also can't play like younger parts because you're like at an awkward stage. Or maybe I was just a really ugly kid. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I just stopped like booking for a little bit and my music. And then I just started singing like in that, in that time. And um, that's kind of when it, it kind of switched for me. And it went from like one, I, I just acted for so long. And then I started really taking singing seriously. And it just started taking off in, in little ways. And I just really liked it. So, yeah. All right, Jen, what next question do you have for Rudy? That is so cool, Rudy. Um, one thing that I love about your music is that it's so authentic. It comes across your authenticity um, and, and genuine. It's, it's not acting. You're genuine with all of your lyrics and everything. What groups inspired you and still inspire you? Um, growing up, I loved jazz, old jazz. And um, Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald out of James, just like the classic, classic good. Um, oh, those are like my favorites growing up. I think I got it, my, my, my mom's um, dad, who I never got to meet, she said she, he loved jazz, like old music like that. So I think that's where I got that from because it was like from a young age, I just always loved jazz music. Um, but the older I got, I started getting into more like mo modern things and which is funny, but uh, I love Christina Aguilera. She anyone that can perform and and sing like that's my thing i don't I, I i like to put on a show i like to like show people how i feel while i'm on stage right i don't just like to sing a song i like to perform the song so artists that can do that are really, really resonate with me um i love bruno mars i think he's so incredible talented. He's so talented and he you watch his show and you just i could watch the same show over and over and over it's so he's just so damn good and um yeah so i those two are like my favorites. I look at that as an important, that's a great question, Jen. I look at that as an important thing as a radio and television person to watch who I enjoy and listen and think about who growing up I emulated in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I look at Dan Patrick and I also look at Howard Stern in a different way of how he interviewed, not the, the, you know, the dirtiness, but I listen to Howard, I listen to Dan Patrick, mm -hmm. I looked at yeah. other people, Larry King, and I try to model a lot around those things. So that's a great point where you're looking at your music and saying, how can I become better? What am I going to be watching now? Uh, to right. Develop? Right. All right, Pearl, next question, please. So um, I know that you recently did the, um, the, listen, the listen to your heart, mm -hmm. and um, your I, I really feel like you, you were able to show a lot of your music through all of that. Where do you see the next thing? What's the next thing coming up for you? Yeah, so the great thing about that was that it was like a great platform for people to, you know, kind of find out who I am a little bit, and they, I've really, at least two songs. I'm sure you guys know the Hate LA and Smile. And it's just, it's got, they've both gotten so much love. Um, and people just want, want more and more and more. So I've just been working on so much new music. And um, the next step for me is just continuing to give these people new music. Um, I have a new single that's coming out on roughly July 10th. And it's called Stupid Boy. And it's my favorite song yet. So I'm just super excited to put it out there and get people listening to it. You know, when you talk about the the platform and the opportunities you've had, how much are your fans important in your success, especially as a as a musician now, because they remember you from different days, and yeah. that that you keep that audience right. That's an important part of finding your audience and keeping your tribe to oh, yeah. all your stuff. Oh yeah, it's it's honestly it 
the first of all the amount of support that I've gotten is just like so overwhelming and in the best way ever and I am so appreciative of literally every single one of them and I you you literally can't do it without without them you can't so it means the, the absolute world to me I've been waiting to you know be able to share my voice with with more than five my family <laughs> so um you know it's it it means the world and and I try and reply to as many people as I can and and DM people back and they're they're always like oh my god thank you so much and it's just so so cool to just you know be able to make someone's day just by replying to them so try and do that as much as possible having she seems like jen she has lots of gratitude for her fans she has a lot of gratitude for her fans and for her life which is really cool one of the things that i wanted to ask you um real quick is what was what was the one experience of gratitude that you had when you were on the bachelor Oh man, so many things, honestly. There's, oh, I, I can't even, like while I was on the show or like after one. Like if there was one, if, if whether you were on it or off it, there was just like that one experience that you had that was like full of gratitude. I think honestly, realizing that, because okay, there it's like every day is, you have no idea what's gonna happen. You have absolutely no idea what's gonna happen. <laughs> it literally could be, a great day and and you're not you're not i'm not wasn't in contact with my family and as you know probably by now i'm like obsessed yeah. with them that was very hard for me so just learning i think how to take just take it day by day and i know that sounds cliche but i've i genuinely didn't really learn that you hear that all the time right you hear okay just my mom says all the time really take it day by day just one day at a time and I but I never learned that until being on the show and and because if, if you didn't then you would literally drive yourself crazy so you have to just do it you have to you have to take it one day at a time literally one hour at a time because things are so crazy you just don't know so for me learning that was such a huge part and just growing in life. Like I, I take that now and, you know, I find myself stressing out about a song that I'm going to release and, you know, in July and I'm thinking, okay, what if people this or what if, and, and I just take myself back to that moment. Like, you know what? You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Just <laughs> take it day by day. And, and that's something that I'm very uh, grateful to have learned on, on the show because, you know, I, so many things, but I think that's the main thing I can take, I can take from it. Taking things day by day, we all have to learn now in 2020. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every time we have plans, our plans change, mm -hmm. and that's so. <laughs> I'm telling you, every week it's like, okay, my plans have changed. And Pearl, that's the the thing that you teach a lot as as a life coach is taking things day by day, right? Yes, and Rudy, your mom gave you such amazing advice. I mean. If you take that by day by day, and that's a lot what I work on when we, we, I have an annual retreat with women. We get 20 women together. We're in our PJs, no makeup, you okay. know, no phone and everything. So we, you know, we don't have, it's just all female. And the one thing we talk about is that, you know, I read something in your, in your bio where you, seven days was like the longest, I think you said it a couple of times you've been without anybody. I'm like, I'm so glad you had to do that experience because now you, you, as I coach my clients is we don't need anybody to be successful. And I think you've learned that lesson through what your mom has told you and your experience now. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's awesome. And so um, you should be commended to keep that up. I want, I would love to see you keep doing that because you're a strong woman and you've been, you know, you've gotten, you've learned some great lessons as you shared. Um, but yeah, definitely that's something that I work on with my clients. And so taking what the lessons you learned through that and what you shared with us today, 
how do you see yourself going forward now with balancing your new career and also because you're single, you know, trying to figure out where you are in life and how you protect yourself with who you continue to bring in your circle from those lessons you've learned? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think, like I like I said, just to be more cautious. I'm a very open person. I'm, I'm, I'm very free and just, I am who I am. I love people. I love meeting new people, making friends, but it's, you know, you're, I'm also at the point to where I'm, I'm 25 and I used to always be about, Oh my God, I love having hundreds of friends and blah, 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 blah. And, and it's not about that. For me, it's, it's more about just keeping my circle small and, and having those, you know, core people that you can really trust and, and, and take with you on your journey, you know? Um, so I think that's the main thing is just, like I said, being careful with who you can trust and, um, yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's it. And taking, and taking things day by day, just literally all the lessons that I've learned, constantly like reminding yourself it's a it's a you have to remind yourself constantly you can't you know what I mean like it's a you you work at it consistently and it's something that you can't I forget about it sometimes some days like I stress and and I have anxiety over something and then the next day I'm like wake up and you're like okay you have to remember what you learned it helped you a lot on the during that time in your life and now apply it to to now you know for for different reasons but it still applies it's gonna apply to my life for for the rest of my life so you know um just doing that constantly I <laughs> think about the whole influencer part that you have to play after yeah. the bachelor and now the music yeah. you have a different responsibility than every average everyday person and that's yeah. what you have to think about and why you surround yourself with the right people right right yeah 100 percent. it's also um it's a lot it's a it's it's a lot but what I'm grateful for too is that um on the show I was portrayed as myself, which is, you know, sometimes you, you sign up for a reality show and they can edit you however they want to edit you. I actually filmed a reality show when I was like 13 and they made me look terrible. So I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. And, um, but uh, luckily enough, I, I got a really, my edit was myself. And, and now that my fan, the fans that I've gained from the show, they love me for me, which is great. So that takes a lot of pressure off of me because I'm like the people that are here on my page, they love Rudy for Rudy. And that means I can just be literally myself. And, and, you know, you still have those people that, that are negative, but for the most part, everyone loves that person that they saw, which is who I am. So um, that's one, one really, really good thing that uh, I'm so, so grateful for because I feel like I don't have to, I have a, a friend from the show who, who feels like she has to kind of play this part because she was portrayed in that light and people liked her for that, you know, and it's hard, it's difficult, but um, I'm, I'm very grateful for, for how the whole thing turned out for me for sure. Okay, Jen, next question for Rudy. Hey, where do you write your music? Ooh, I like that question. Um, anywhere <laughs> literally <laughs> anywhere i write i wrote hate la um in an uber basically so uh i were you in la i was in la yeah i was i was, <laughs> I was literally just broken up or got broken up with with my my ex and um i was driving in an uber and i was just like crying my eyes out in this uber and i just remember passing like the Ralph's, the grocery store over there. And I, we used to call each other Ralph. <laughs> so I started crying and I was like, oh my God, like I was just bawling my eyes out. And I, I wrote the first line, um, I'm driving around this city and all I see is you. I wrote that while I was literally bawling my eyes out. Oh, and yeah. 
my Uber driver was probably like, what is wrong with this girl? <laughs> but yeah, I, I write literally anywhere, anytime that I'm inspired. Sometimes I'll be, when, when the movie theaters were open, I would hear like a line that someone would say and I would take out my phone and just write it. Just whatever inspires me, you know, um, at any time. I always have my phone on me um, mm-hmm. just in case and find inspiration whenever, wherever. I have a notebook with me that I carry everywhere. And so one thing that I want to do is I want to invite you out. Um, Gratitude Radio Network is going to be headquartered in, in, um, I'm so happy, sorry, in Clearwater. It's an 8,400 square foot building. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah, and I'm I'm in charge of Steve Boyd's, or Steve Boyer's legacy. He's giving me his legacy, which is all the five Emmys that he's won, the Oscar that he's won, the gold records. And we're going to have one side set up for analog for when he was writing with, with uh, the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton and everything's going to be on one side. On the other side, it's going to be digital. So if you ever want a place to land and, and just kind of the beach is right there. We're right by the beach. Oh, that's amazing. Just come anytime. And that's why I was asking where you write because I write anywhere. I wrote oh, toilet God. paper lines in the grocery store. I'm like, yeah. you guys are acting like the toilet paper's like got, got rims and it's gold, you know? Now you're taking it. You're taking my fucking toilet paper. Yes. They took the coffee. That's it. All bets are off. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. And I, I so appreciate that. I, it definitely sounds absolutely amazing. So, Well, that yeah. leads me to where, where are you? What's next, Rudy? Where can we find you? Are you going to be, uh, you know, on anywhere with your music? Where can we find you or find out how we can follow you on those yeah, appearances? Yeah. I think the main thing is Instagram. It's literally, it's just Rudy. And um, it's not, it's just, it's so confusing. I tell people, they're like, oh, so Rudy? And I'm like, no, it's literally I-T-S-J-U-S-T. But just to go there and I have all my links. I'm always on Instagram. That's like my main platform that I'm always on. And if I, when I'm dropping my new song, which is going to be really soon, I have the Spotify links, iTunes links, all, all that good stuff, always on my profile. So, yeah. Well, I, I followed you this morning, so. <laughs> they, they, they just have to swipe up, right? That's all, right? Swipe up. It's super easy. <laughs> yeah. not, that's the nice thing once you go over 10 Gs, right? When you have 10,000 Instagram, it's like, exactly. uh, that helps you. You got the swipe up button, you're all good to go. But yeah, I think just that's the main, the main thing. And, and like I said, my new song that I'm releasing, Stupid Boy around July 10th, so yeah. Awesome, awesome, and anything else you wanna tell your fans that are dealing with you know, the pandemic now and what would you like to say to them? Just, I know it's hard and it's a little very annoying, um, but we're gonna get through it and it's all good. If anyone ever needs someone to talk to you, just slide into my DMs. I'm, there. I'm literally on Instagram all day long, so just hit me up, we'll talk, we'll be friends and I'll keep you entertained. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right, you're uh, watching the Gratitude Radio Network and the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Chris Boland Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, Chris Boland. Chris, how are you? And we were talking about the uh, a plug for your bar. Uh, mm-hmm. It's back up and running now, Chris, right? You can go ahead and plug it, especially for people in the Birmingham area. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Club South is open and we are uh, done a lot of cleaning during the downtime and, and happy to adhere to all the uh, the safety precautions the best you can in a, in a bar and providing hand sanitizers and social distancing the best that you can and, and, 
and looking forward to have many people, many people come in and, and see us. All right. And we have a fantastic guest. Uh, she's in quarantine as I am in quarantine, except <laughs> I made the move to my mom's to op- have an office upstairs because I can't be home with my family any longer. And it's been the best move ever. So I look at the pandemic as I, I found an office for my business, not never again in my house. It just doesn't work. You can work business at night. Really, you can't. It's kind of like catch up, like homework, Chris. Really, it is. But go ahead and introduce our guest. But I want and 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 our guest. We had some good little banter off air, and she looks like she's going to be an awesome guest. Go ahead and introduce her, Chris. All right. Well, on the show today, we are very excited to have an American actor and producer. Uh, many people know her from night school. Our brand is Crisis, and the much anticipated, and everybody's very excited about new Capone movie, Miss Tilda Del Toro. Welcome aboard. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Wow. Tilda, how are you surviving quarantine? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Lots of walks. Um, I do these 10-mile walks. That's one of my uh, survival things. Um, So it just sort of sprouted in me during quarantine. But I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. You know, it's very interesting we talk about Capone. I learned so much about Capone from... uh, the the boardwalk uh, it'll come to me in a second the show on uh, it was HBO I mm. streamed and yeah uh, that, I was just thinking about that show oh yeah. my god Empire board yeah that boardwalk show. Empire oh my gosh what an unbelievable show it's like I streamed yeah. The Sopranos binge watched them then watched awesome. then watched boardwalk Empire and I'm like. Wow. And so, again, that's where I learned a little bit more about Al Capone. And, Chris, it's very Mm -hmm. interesting. I did interview Deidre Capone as well uh, years ago. uh, And on she has a book and stuff like that. And she's promoting something. I don't know if it has related to the movie or not. But go ahead, Chris, for your first question. I just kind of wanted to give you that little sidebar. Amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I was definitely checking into Miss Toro and, and looking at all the fantastic things she's done. And what I found interesting is you started out in theater and you've worked your way mm-hmm. through theater to shorts and now to big film. And mm-hmm. I always ask actors and actresses, did you find it to be a strange transition from theater to the movies? Because really the acting to me is a lot different and you have to kind of change the way you speak and, and your, and your levels of voice. Is it, was that something that came smoothly to you? Um, I wouldn't say smoothly. Um, I think the fundamentals are of acting are the same, but if you, you know, I'm from Chicago as well. And Chicago is a very serious theater town. Um, you know, was fortunate enough to work at Steppenwolf and do some really awesome stuff there. And, um, the camera is such, uh, an intimate medium the motions and and you don't want to be conscious of this while you're working which is you know what i've learned so far and i'm still learning as you know we're constantly all learning um but yeah it is an adjustment um it's i find a film to be more intimate and that's why i love it so much you see and that's and so it's interesting a lot of stage act actors like stage mm-hmm. better even though they've done film yeah that, what I do you don't. What, is it, <laughs> do you do you like the, the the multiple takes or is it more do you like the fact of the kind of camaraderie of a different type of camaraderie with uh, with film 
the way of working well, with all the different people that are involved versus when you're performing on stage, you have certain parts of uh, moving parts that work around, but this, the film is a little bit more and they really look at specific shots differently than just performing and ad libbing at times on stage. Yeah. I, I love the art of photography as well. Like I truly believe in it. Um, meaning that it's, it inspires me. I look at photographs, you know, film is an extension of um, a moving photograph. I was watching a Martin Scorsese documentary that just became available during quarantine yesterday. And it was so intimate because it was just so honest. This is not strange, but it was anticlimactic because it was just like Scorsese getting the shots and getting what he needs. But when you watch him work and you see, you know, that he's, you know, he's looking at all elements. And as the actor, you get the chance to live in sort of a moving photograph. Um, and to me, I also love the aspect, um, you know, in theater, you do it over and over and over again. And I love the magic of capturing something or being involved in something where um, something very specific is being captured and it's only captured for that moment. Yes. Only that moment. And yeah. And, and, there's just so many different shots. I never got to do any movies. Uh, I ended up one time I got to play Darth Vader in a cable access type of deal where it was a <laughs> ice, ice bucket challenge. I'm six foot 10. I'm a former professional wrestler too, but one, uh, I had, I have a television show on and at, at there, but they just said, okay, we're going to do a shoot. And I saw how time consuming it was it just to do a short ice bucket challenge as Darth Vader. I'm in my Darth Vader suit the entire yeah. time. And, and okay, that shot didn't work. Let's do this shot. And yeah. that's the process of finally putting it to a finality of something. Right. And you like that, I guess. I love that. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's, you know, there's certain challenges that, you know, I, I think theater is just so like, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm doing this, I'm going to do it. And that's very thrilling as well, because you're really in the moment um, with film and cameras and stuff like that. You're also, like you said, working with the plethora of other people who are also working on what they need to look at. And so, and then it's taking a really long time. So it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a challenge of, of getting to the specific, it's all these elements at once coming together and making it like magic. And, um, you know, I, I find that very, very thrilling. It can be boring in an artistic way, meaning like that's part of the challenge. Like, okay, we're just setting this shot. But like I said, I, I actually love the anticlimactness of it. Like I love like, you know, just shooting or just walk, you know, but the quality and what, what everyone's doing and the, the costumes and the cameras and everything. It's like, I love it. That's great. You do. I mean, it's, when, it's wow. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say when, when, when you, when you found your love for acting, is that mm -hmm. something that your family was into? Did they, did your family have it, have an influence on your decision to act or was that just something that you found on your own? Um, you know, I, I found it on my own. I'm not really even sure how I did it. I mean, I, I mean, I know how I did it. I was fortunate enough to live in a city where, you know, there was just theater everywhere. And so I could take, get on the bus and the train, you know, my parents are very working class immigrants and, you know, they were supportive, but they didn't, they, you know, they didn't send me to like an art school or stuff like, you know what I mean? So I was like, but they did teach me that whatever I wanted to do, I'd go do it. And, um, you know, 
I remember, you know, after doing theater in Chicago and my dad, who's, I love dearly, he just, you know, he's, he's never, he's not a confrontational guy, you know, but he just said, um, and I'm getting emotional, but I'm, he's like, you know, I just don't want you to be like every other actress, you know, like just waiting. Yeah. And I know that he said that because he loves me and I was very persistent and, you know, came out to LA anyway. Um, and, um, they are totally excited now and they like, you know, <laughs> they like, they just feel like, okay, this, this, our daughter is, she's going to do what she wants to do kind of thing. So they completely have always supported me, but they were scared. You know, they were scared. Like most families would be, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how hey, did you... Dad, I'm going to like, you know, and I remember, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, hey, Dad, I don't, like, I don't think I'm going to finish college. I think I'm just going to go to L.A., you know? <laughs> See, and then that's God. an interesting part is the, the point of, I think when you have a, uh, a father-daughter relationship where they want so much for each other mm -hmm. that's yeah. becomes it becomes so powerful it becomes yeah. something where you know what i know i can trust them i can trust my dad in this situation and i believe and i'm going to try to do my very best for him yeah and my dad he works so hard you know he worked in a factory his whole life and you know i've always just wanted to make him proud in it may have been a strange way that I did it, you know, meaning like it wasn't the way he expected, you know, I'm sure he was, could have been happy me being a lawyer, or, you know, and it's just very traditional stuff. But, um, you know, I just want to make my dad proud even today, you know. And you mentioned that you moving out to L.A. Was that how you got the chance to read for this role um, for Capone? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, sort of in a I got the chance uh to read for Capone because I auditioned for it so definitely from the work that I did um it shot in Louisiana um and I have uh, invested time into the south in Louisiana and I, I love the south and um I've spent a lot of time in uh New Orleans um and have friends there and uh did have a place there until recently until quarantine came down because the film community is amazing. Um, so that's how I got connected to Capone. Um, and I, it was, you know, I, I, I auditioned for it, you know, and I did the work that actors do. And I put myself on tape. Um, oddly, I had, I just put myself on tape. Usually I'll, maybe I'll do it a few times and then, you know, I correct my work, right? But I did it and I only did one take. Um, and the people I was working with, you know, a couple of friends of mine were helping me tape. They were just like, I think it's it. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think I'm not going to mess with that. I'm just going to send it in. And, um, and it came through. So, so yeah. Well, your instincts were, you know, it's sort of like when you know something's kind of, kind of meant to be, you know, you don't, you, you know, it as soon as you feel it in your gut, right? Yeah, and I was, I'm also at a point in my life and was at that time very much like, like, this is, like, this is what I can do, you know, like, this is, I have respect for the work, this is, this is what I control. And so, you know, then I, I, I used to do this thing where every time I read for something, I would rip up this, the, the scene or scenes that I had to do, because it was an emotional way for me to let go and just say, like, you know, I'm letting you go, I hope right. you come back. 
but if you don't, you don't define me. And I, you know, I am an artist kind of, kind of thing. And I was doing that then too. And, um, and I do it now. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like it. And it's, it's something, the whole art of acting, it's got, it seems like very important to you. And it seems like this film is a perfect type of thing that you're looking for as an opportunity. Yeah, it was definitely um, my dream. You know, like uh, when I thought about when I continue still to think about work that I want to do, even when I first started acting, it always just it wanted, the you know, it, it was work that told stories that nobody else would tell. Um, you know, working on a high level artistic, you know, sphere, which is what I have been working towards, you know, which is not always as satisfying for, you know, some people, you know, like that want to do everything commercially, but um, I just, that's just part of who I am. Like things have to mean something to me. Well, you're definitely um, in the last few things that you've put out. I mean, Tom Hardy, for example, is becoming a legend in its own right. When you yeah. when you had a chance to work with him, did you feel like all the work that you'd put in previously? I mean, obviously, you felt good about it. Did you did you learn anything from him, or felt like that maybe you had a lot more to contribute than maybe your self conscious even knew? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I'm I'm still in the process of all that. Um, I, I did, you know, I work really hard training wise, you know, you guys probably know that even before, um, when I got the part, I worked really hard as well. Um, I did a lot of stuff on my own. I, um, if you know, you see the movie, you see that I speak Italian. If you see the audition, the Italian is like, it, yeah. it feels like gibberish, which was great that I was like, I wasn't worried about it. Um, but I worked, you know, I worked with a physical coach. I worked with an acting coach. I worked on my voice. I worked on my body. Um, I learned Italian very specifically uh, for that part, um, meaning the specific type of Italian that, you know, me and my coach decided on and uh, that, you know, I worked with the film and what the director was good with. Um, you know, Tom was so giving and so present with me yeah. and um, never treated me like anything other than uh, his equal um, and, you know, I think at some point, you know, he said to me, do you need anything from me? <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, one like, psh, psh, you, should, you know, you said, you know, you're fine. You know what I mean? But he was just, uh, you know, so kind. Um, and wh what I felt more, and I was talking to someone else about this because, um, you know, you sort of get this sort of imposter syndrome, you know, sometimes, or I did. That's what I, that's been one of my biggest challenges. And I saw how committed everybody was. And then I saw how committed Tom is. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I found my people. It was more like that. Oh, that's like, See, that's good. Yeah, great. I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, these guys, these guys get me, you know? You know, um, so kind yeah. of jumping to Capone and just the story mm -hmm. of Capone, not going into the movie, because I know Chris <laughs> has those questions. I'm more intrigued in the fact that looking at just the story of just how he grew to become this big icon. People don't understand the fact that he was before 
uh, certain, you know, New York mafia were big time. He just, he showed, right. he was that, the, the, you know, how I'm trying to remember Gotti. He, before Gotti is Al Capone. Mm-hmm. And Al yeah. rose the same way as Gotti in certain ways. Wouldn't you agree? And the way he moved up the crime family to becoming the big guy. Yeah, I also I also want to add just that, like, I think I read something once that, like, if Al Capone were a legal CEO of a company, you know what I mean? Like, his skills were higher than, you know, even higher than some people that we admire who have legal companies who are running huge, you know, huge things. And so, you know, I'm not justifying things that Al Capone has done, but I'm just saying... You know, his level of intelligence and how he rose, and absolutely, I mean, it's really the story of people who had nothing, which, not going into the film too much, but, you know, is, is talked about a bit in the film, you know, people who had nothing, who made, who made something, you know, again, I want to say, I am not, you know, justifying things that Capone did, (laughs) you know, his intelligence as a person and and running a huge company, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. But, and he does it a lot of ways that CEOs of companies that did, did do it legally, but yet really not legally undercut and had their specific hiring practices and different things. So Chris, next question uh, for Tilda, but uh, that's my thought process when thinking of Capone, I think of, I'm thinking of Boardwalk Empire right now, but ultimately that, cause that showed the rise of him as a nobody to a somebody. But then I've watched lots of stories of John Gotti that reminds me the same thing. Chris, are you familiar with John Gotti as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not as familiar with John Gotti, so I I can't, you should go back and check those things out. Be good ways in conversation later on. And when the, about the film and kind of relating gangster life very in certain similar. ways. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's a different, that's a, an interesting topic to segue into is, is when you were on set and dealing with, I mean, and not to give anything away, everybody should know yeah. that you played the mistress, you know, of, of mm-hmm. Al Capone is, is did you have anybody that was kind of like, okay, this is, this is kind of how we see the mistress happen or was there any, was there any legitimacy to, to that part of the story where people said, okay, this person's a real person and this is how we should create it or act. Yeah. So there's legitimacies that he was a womanizer, you know, there's lots of, uh, there's, I think there is an actual, he did have a mistress not named Mona Lisa. I think I represent, um, you know, some of those women, and then to not give the film away, I represent, you know, another possibility that's out there about um, Capone and his life outside of his home, let's just say that. Um, So um, I had an idea about her, Um, I worked on her, and then I got together with Josh Trank, the, you know, director and writer and editor, um, and he had ideas that I hadn't thought about, which were great. Um, you know, I thought of her more as sort of like, is she this call girl, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, Josh was like, no, no, she's, she's in love with him. She's a woman in his life. And she is like many other people in Al Capone's life where their life is directly built around his. 
Hmm. They're affected by him. Their lives, they they fear him. They love him. You know, all these things. So that that was the process. And Hmm. then, you know, I had my own process. And then Josh and I had a, you know, dialogue and process about it. Well, that's fascinating, though, yeah, for, su- for for such a big movie that mm-hmm. he gave you basically creative rights on it to a sense. And that's that's got to make you feel good a thousand percent. Yeah, it's you know, it, it's wonderful, Josh. You know, he is very specific about what he wants. But, you know, I, you know, just go back to the acting training. Like your job is to show up. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. and you don't just show up. You know, you show up with all you've got and then you work with people and you stay flexible and you, you know what I mean? And you work, I mean, if there's something you're very passionate about, but, you know, Josh was specific about certain things that he wanted, but because I had done all the work, I was able to, you know, mold it to him. Exactly. It sounds like it. Yeah. It Mm -hmm. it sounds really true. And, and wow, I thinking thinking about it but like when you talk about specifically enough capone as a person the things mm-hmm. that we saw in boardwalk empire about capone were a lot of those yeah. in, p- part of the story a little bit of you know how he had a special needs son was that true and different things that they put out in that one because that's the one that's in my memory right now yeah so um there is a man um who is claiming to be capone's son or grandson or, you know, but derivative from this idea, you know, that there's, there was a, you know, another child out there. Um, and so that's, you know, a lot of these things are, you know, Capone didn't write anything down, you know, and also his wife burned all of the letters that he wrote um, to her while he was at Alcatraz. So, oh wow, you know, yeah. So there, there was probably a, you know, a, so much humanity in that um but yeah i think i think i lost track but what 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 exactly were you no the special needs son that before the with the marriage the he was oh right 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 yeah so um uh, what specifically no specifically that he was that was the true part of the story that his son yeah yeah. for sure Wow, wow yeah i saw that as well sorry i went on you know other things but it's like um yeah, I mean, I I think that what we're looking at is that this is a family man as well. Also, you there are many stories of Al Capone doing really good things for people. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like helping them with surgeries and like giving you know, it's sort of you know the vigilante or like the you know the Robin Hood of the neighborhood. Exactly, and he became like iconic in Chicago. Absolutely. <laughs> And so, wow, you know, and that's the thing. So I guess without giving anything away, the film comes out till the when? Um, The film is on VOD now. Okay. Um, It was recently released, but it is going to have a theatrical release once we're out of, um, you know, quarantine uh, COVID is the word on the street. Really? Okay. So even though these movies are being released on VOD that came out at that time period, they're going to have them released in the theaters when a lot of them once that when they, that you time. Know, they really hope to. Mm-hmm. They really hope to. And I, and I got to say, you know, like Peter Deming uh, shot this film, you know, with Josh and, you know, Peter Deming has done like Mulholland Drive. Like, you know, he's he's a Lynch guy. He's done some amazing work. The cinematic aspects of this film are just 
would be so it, it would be you know so sad if it didn't get into a theater that we can see it in even if it's a drive-in theater you know what i mean like right now mm-hmm. this is what we're going through but uh, you know the shots are gorgeous so you know i hope that everyone is able to see it in a theater awesome okay best place we can find information on you and follow you tilda where can we go yeah, so um, uh, Instagram, I'm, pr- I'm probably most active on Instagram. It's at Tilda Del Toro, very simple. Um, and those are my handles on all my social media, Twitter and Facebook. Um, I just started a TikTok page, but I don't know. Oh, I think you'll blow up, I think you'll blow up on TikTok. <laughs> you see who gets the, the virality of things on TikTok. Well, keep working on it. Right. Keep. I Thank tried. To, I tried. And I'm like, nope, this is not for me. Except if yeah. I would have found my target audience. I just don't have time. I got all these other social like, media channels. I and I'm like, I was like, oh, my God, another social media yeah, app. I'm like, oh, my God, what? I'm but, like, uh, but you'll see. Yeah. Hey, that can make you millions. Remember that. The, yeah. the top oh, are making 14 or $15 million a year. Disney just went to TikTok, apparently. Oh, it's like, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, sounds good. Appreciate you coming by. Appreciate it. Okay, great to All talk right. to you guys. All right, take Thanks, Tilda. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. All bye. right, you're listening bye. to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show, television style, and I love it. Uh, to get to see all my guests on the line, and it's the ProVision Brokerage Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program, Eric Couch. Eric, how are you? Great. We're excited about our guest today. We are excited. And we yeah. all can see it right now. Once again, it goes back and forth camera-wise. So introduce our guest, and we'll get started. So if you don't recognize the famous Blue Eyes, Grand Ole Opry uh, member, uh, country music uh, female vocalist of the year, um, Miss Martina McBride is joining us today, and we're going to have a great talk. Hi, everybody. Hey, thanks for stopping by. And how are you holding up with the pandemic right now and dealing with everything? I know things are starting to open up, but it's been a crazy six weeks plus for sure. Yeah, it has. Um, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm I'm a little bit of a homebody anyway, so it hasn't been too difficult for me or too big of an adjustment staying home. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my husband here and my three daughters, so they're 22, 22, 25, and 14. So we've been spending a lot of time together, um, doing puzzles and cooking a lot, and uh, it's actually been, it's been okay. All right. All right, Eric, first question for Martina. So, so, you know, talking about the pandemic and staying home and and being that, uh, how is, how is, how has it been trying, you know, making music? during a global pandemic? Well, what we does that were, look like? Yeah, well, we recorded Girls Like Me, uh, my new mm-hmm. single. Um, so I chose a producer before we had the isolation orders. I chose a producer named Nathan Chapman, whom I've, whom I've worked with before. And I went to his house and I played him the song, played him the demo. We agreed to, to do the song together. Mm-hmm. And then, bam, like maybe two or three days later, we, we our isolation orders came through. So yeah. I was kind of thinking, how, how am I going to record this song? I mean, the studios are closed. You can't gather musicians together to record. Well, luckily, he's brilliant. And he is a gifted musician. And he was able to play every instrument on the record. And oh, wow. Record, and record them at his house and do the background vocals as well. Um, my husband and I own a studio in Nashville called Blackbird Studio. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it was closed. 
but I was able to go down there and record my vocal because I was basically, there was nobody there. So I was still in isolation doing that. So I was able to record my vocal and then we would just communicate by phone, uh, send each other stuff back and forth over um, the internet. And so really from, from the time we started making the record, we were never in the same building together, me and the producer. So it was, it was challenging. I mean, we luckily had the same vision for the song and I think he made a beautiful track. Um, yeah. But I missed the camaraderie yeah. of the musicians being together and bouncing ideas off of each other. You know, it wasn't my favorite way to work, but I will say it was efficient. <laughs> it was very efficient. We talked about right. that. There was no, you know, storytelling or hanging out at lunch or any distractions. So, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, I, I can't wait to get back in the studio with, with a group of musicians. So that interaction time when you get to record is much different, right? The feedback or more the camaraderie? What do you think it is? I think it's more the camaraderie. I think making music is, is by its nature, usually a, a kind of a communal experience. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we enjoy that energy and that, um, we, most people, most musicians in this town know each other. So there's a lot of, you know, it's fun. That's a good word to say. It's fun. Okay, Eric, next question. Talk about how, uh, go, we're going to go into Songland now. Go ahead, Eric. Right. So, you know, for, for listeners and viewers that have watched Songland, you know, tell us about, um, you know, song Girls Like Me and, you know, it, it debuted, but tell us about kind of where that came from and fill us in there. Yeah, so Songland is a, a show that supports up-and-coming songwriters. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to go out to L.A. before all this happened. It was in February. Flew out there, heard four songs, chose three. Okay. Um, and and, and while, after the songwriters would play their songs for me and the panel of mentors, which are all three songwriters and producers, um, we would spend about 45 minutes. It got edited down, but we spent about 45 minutes with each song talking about how some of the changes maybe to make it m more of a tailor fit for, for me, from my right. um, voice and experience and career. So then... I came back home and they got together and worked for six days. And then I came back out to LA and they were, um, they played me the new songs and I chose girls like me because I loved, I love the message of it. I love the fact that you're saying, look, life can be messy. Like yes. everybody has insecurities. Everybody makes mistakes. I've been there. It's going to be okay. And you know, we all try so hard to, to be tough and not show our vulnerability. But, you know, I, I just love the fact that I, it is for girls, but I think it's for guys too. I think it's for anybody out there who just needs to, a little encouragement and positivity. What do you think of Songland in a lot of ways of how the collaboration with the writer and the artist? It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's and really that. cool. And, you know, the thing I love the most about the show is that it's, it's positive. Um, there's yeah. nobody that's trying to tear anybody down. It's like really honest feedback, constructive, positive, um, nurturing. It's just all those good things. Awesome. Eric, next question. Okay. So now I'm told that when you were inducted uh, into Grand Ole Opry, that was by one of your just mentor role models. Yes. Uh, Miss Loretta. My mug that I'm drinking my coffee out of. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so who have been, who have been some of the influencers in your life? 
Well, let's see. When I was growing up, my biggest vocal idol was Linda Ronstadt. Yeah. And also Pat Benatar. I was a very big Pat Benatar fan. I'd spend hours in my bedroom singing to those two women's records. Yeah. Um, Loretta, obviously, and I've gotten the chance to get to know her over the past few years, which is life treasure. And, yeah. um, and then Reba. You know, I was looked up to Reba a lot, the way mm-hmm. she conducted her business and the way she carried herself and, and her, you know, her, um, her individuality and her singing. So those are probably three that I can think of off the top of my head, but a lot of people, you know, you take, you, you take a little bit of something from everybody as you're listening and growing up, especially. Yeah. And you see that. And when you take those mentors and put it together into your own, your own image, your own thought process. And that's always a work in progress, right? Even trying oh, yeah. to grow in your career and say, okay, I need to make some changes here or there. Are you, a, are you, do you critique yourself a lot? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a perfectionist. Um, I once went to some, I was talking to somebody and they said, you're a perfectionist, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they said, you know, you might, it might serve you well to let go a little bit, <laughs> but it's, it's hard for me because I, I care so much about it and I love what I do and I just want it to be right, you know? So making, whether it's the music or whether it's making business decisions, whether it's taking care of people in my organization, you know, um, my own family decisions, all of it. When I write the cookbooks, you know, I'm very involved because I feel like it is me, you know, and and people, when they see the, the work that you put out or how you live your life or whatever it is, um, I feel like when they see me, they see the real thing. So it's really, it's authentic. And that authenticity is really important to me. It's a powerful thing. Okay, Eric, next question. Okay, so you have you have a lot of songs that have really made an impact. Of course, Independence Day uh, is on, what, Sean Hannity, I think every episode, right? And then, uh, you know, Blessed is one that has impacted our home and family. Uh, my wife actually sang it when she auditioned for American Idol and made it through like the first several rounds with that song. So, you know, that, that holds a place in, and, you know, our family and then, you know, so many others, uh, what's it in my daughter's eyes. Um, you know, it's just such a, you know, music is telling stories, right. But, but there's a lot more to you. So like you said, you've got, you've got daughters in your twenties, you've been married, for how many years now? 102. No. <laughs> uh, Friday, it'll be 32 years. Oh, 32 years. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. So, you know, with all of that, right, there's the music, there's the family, there's, there's a 32-year marriage. That's a big deal. We celebrate 20 years uh, at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what's, the, what's the legacy you would like to leave? I think that I just, I don't know. That's really, that's, you know, I, I've thought of this question. I've been asked this question, but right now I want to figure out how to express it. Um, I just think that I maybe made a difference to somebody, you know, yeah. with my music. Uh, maybe they heard a song that, that made them feel like somebody understood what they were going through or that they weren't alone in this life journey. Um, brought them some comfort or some inspiration. So that's musically, that's kind of what I want to leave behind is a, is a catalog yeah. of songs that, 
that matter to somebody. And then everything else, 